Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse. Scholarly exposition and a popular approach marked his teaching. An unyielding faith, devotion to Christ, innovation, and great energy marked his ministry. He was able to make the Bible relevant to the modern man. In fact, his sermons have grown no less important to those who hear or read them today. After Dr. Barnhouse remarried, he settled into a home on an 82-acre farm near Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Listen as Barnhouse preaches on the studies in Mark, chapter 12, verses 35 through 40, with the message, Who is Christ? continues in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 12 beginning with verse 35. Later, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he remarked, how can the scribes make out that Christ is David's son? For David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies the footstool of thy feet. David is himself calling Christ Lord. Where do they get the idea that he is his son? The vast crowd heard this with great delight, and Jesus continued in his teaching. Now, a close reading of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of which give this story, show that what Jesus was doing was going now himself to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes with a question of his own. There even seemed to be indications that he addressed one group and got their reaction and then went to another group with the same question and got their reaction. For in one of the Gospels it says Jesus said to the Pharisees what we have just read. And while another, in one of the other Gospels, it says that he went to the scribes. Now, Jesus turns and asks questions. Perhaps, as I say, to each of the three groups, the scribes, the Pharisees, and to the Sadducees, this question was given. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Is the way Matthew puts it. What think ye of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, what the Lord Jesus was doing in this paragraph was not in any wise diminishing his own position, but was showing that the reason why he was being rejected was because these people had a political idea of a Messiah instead of the spiritual idea of the Messiah. Whose son was he? If you had gone to any of this group and had said, who is the Messiah to be? Why, son of David, of course, son of David, of course, son of David, of course. But Jesus said something much more because David called the Messiah his Lord, his son, his Lord. Now, how could this be? And what, David, what the Lord Jesus is setting forth was that the Messiah was to be something much more than a Jewish king. In fact, if we say to ourselves, how is it possible for the Jews to reject Jesus? They, they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. I was working one day this week 
for five hours with a, a Jew who is writing a script uh, for a motion picture television work. And this Jew, who is a, a very, very keen mind, well, is working on a script that has to do with something of the life of Peter. And he said, but how could these people, these scribes, these rulers of the Jews, how could they know that Lazarus had been raised from the dead and refused to accept him as the Messiah? Well, the answer, of course, was that they had made for themselves a blueprint. They had said, the Messiah must be this, 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 and this. And if he fulfills these categories, we are ready to bow before him. And if he does not, we're ready to kill anybody and count him as a pretender. But the principal error was that they said this. Here we are, Jews, prostrate with the foot of Rome on our neck. We will not consider as the Messiah anybody who does not knock the Roman Empire down, lift us up, and let us put our foot on Rome's neck. Having done that, we'll say, now we're ready to listen to you. But God will not receive men in a state of dominance. He will receive men only in a state of submission. God does not save men in order to increase their ego, but God saves men when they have brought their ego to the place where they understand who God is and are ready to accept him in his absolute deity. Now... I want to consider this passage of Jesus' teaching in two or three different points of view because to me always incidental teaching of the Bible is sometimes certainly equally important with the context of the message and what may have been being taught in one direction. The, the context will show that Jesus made certain teachings which are equally important. First of all, let us look at what this passage teaches about Jesus Christ and the Old Testament and inspiration. In Luke chapter 20 and verse 42, Jesus says in the parallel passage of Mark, David himself says, being moved by the Holy Spirit, in the book of the Psalms, says thus and thus. Now, a modern critic of the, of the Bible, for there are men who criticize the Bible, who do not want to believe what it says. And a modern critic has said this, quote, nothing can be more mischievous or more irreverent than to drag in the name of our Lord to support a particular view of biblical criticism, unquote. In other words, he knew he was beaten if he accepted what the Bible said. So he had to attack not only the Bible, but he had to attack those who defend the Bible in order to prove that the Bible is not true. For let us remember that Jesus repeatedly stated that he never said anything unless it was given to him by the Father. You find this in several different passages of the Bible. Look for just a moment at the background of what we shall see in our conclusion. In John chapter 7, we read in verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. 
Now the word doctrine is merely an equivalent for the word teaching. My teaching is not mine, but his that sent me. So Jesus declares that what he teaches is God's teaching. Turn over the page in John chapter 8 to verse 28. Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. You turn over to John chapter 12 and verse 49, and you read, Again, I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Then we turn over to John 14, and we read in verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And in verse 24 of that same chapter, He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And finally, in John 17, two verses, Verse 8, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they, the disciples, have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. And in verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they, my, my disciples, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, here we have these seven verses where Jesus specifically states that everything he ever taught was given to him by the Father. Now, if we take our present story of Jesus questioning and quoting from Psalm 110, we find that Jesus Christ states that David himself wrote these words in the book of the Psalms. And it is perilously near to blasphemy to deny that. Now any critic that says, as the critics do, as the New Interpreter's Bible does, that Psalm 110 was probably written two or three or four hundred years after David by someone else at the time of the captivity is to make a liar out of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ said, David himself wrote in the Psalms. So David wrote it, and Jesus attests this and says, The words that I speak, I'm not just talking off the top of ignorance. God the Father has given me the words that I should speak. And therefore, on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can declare positively from our present paragraph that David himself wrote Psalm 110, and that it does not date from several hundred years after, but that it is a psalm, of prophecy that concerns Jesus, that it has to do with the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, in addition to the incidental teaching here about inspiration, we have Christ and the doctrine of his own person. Who did he think he was? Now here we have 
What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? On several occasions, the Lord Jesus put this question to different groups. He put it to his own disciples. Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're the prophet. Whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Jesus always was pushing men to bring them to a consideration of himself. Who is he? For it is when you know who Jesus Christ is that your life can come into balance with everything else and there can be no balance whatsoever until you have settled this question of who Jesus Christ is and of what place is he to have in your life. Until you, as one of the disciples, can fall at his feet and say, My Lord and my God, there can be no rightness in your life. But when you have come to the place where you have said, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I fall before him. For here we have that Jesus Christ claims that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We find this in several places in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews it says, When he cometh into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not but a body hast thou prepared for me and then he continues lo I come in the volume of the book it is written of me so Jesus first statement in this world after the incarnation was I am the object of the Old Testament prophecies when he began his ministry we find in Luke chapter 4 he preached in Nazareth where he'd been brought up. You remember, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they brought him the roll of the prophet Isaiah. The recent Dead Sea Scrolls give us the size. These things were written on parchment leather and were approximately a bolt of cloth. If you've ever gone into a store to buy cloth by the yard, and seen the clerk take down a boat and start to unroll it, that was the way the Bible was held in the days of Christ. A stick on one end and a stick on the other, and they would unroll from the larger roll and roll it on the stick till they came to the column they wanted to read. Now when Jesus opened the book of Isaiah, we read in Luke chapter 4, He hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, and so on. And he closed the book, rolled it up again, and handed it to the attendant, and sat in the place of the speaker and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I am the object of the Old Testament prophecies. Now this was spoken even before the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it was the first public utterance of Jesus. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it was written of me, and now... A few hours before he dies, he takes once more the Psalms and puts it before the rulers of the Jews and quotes to them, The Lord said to my Lord, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David calleth him Lord. He was talking about himself. 
He claims to be the object of the Old Testament prophecies. He claims to be the Messiah in fulfillment of these prophecies. He claims that David called him Lord. The Old Testament scripture is Jehovah said to Adonai. There are a great many different words in the Hebrew, different names for God. And this word, the Lord said unto my Lord, we have to put the same word in English for we have, do not have two names for the deity. The translators follow here the Septuagint. Kurios said to Kurios. Jehovah said to Jehovah. And there can be no doubt that Christ here is claiming in the most formal fashion to be none other than the Lord Jehovah. I and the Father are one. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. David calls me Lord. Then also the Lord Jesus in this passage is teaching his ascension. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to be raised from the dead and is to go back to heaven. Where is he going to be? Where is he today? In our text we find where he is. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. The old men who made the Apostles' Creed in the course of putting it together understood in a wonderful way the nature of doctrine and why certain things had to be said in certain ways. In fact, the, the Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father would, for all those who knew the whole form of Jewish worship, make them realize that priestcraft was finished. That the Lord Jesus Christ sat down was an end of priestly work of sacrifice. The high priest, it says in the book of Hebrews three times, the high priest standeth. The high priest standeth daily in the temple. The high priest standeth. But this man, after he had by himself purged our sins, sat down. And the fact that Jesus Christ was to take his place seated at the throne of God is the basis for that which we may sing in that simple old hymn that some may accuse of being doggerel, but which nevertheless is great truth, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. And the last verse says, "'Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's and he is mine. He drew me and I followed on, charmed to confess his voice divine. "'Tis done. How do we know it's done? Jesus is seated on the throne of God. He ascended and is seated. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. And not only is this the teaching of the ascension and his enthronement, he is teaching the end of his present enthronement office. Sit thou on my right hand until. Now I have frequently pointed out to you that the New Testament can truly be understood by its prepositions. Oh, how many, many times the whole of the argument depends on the difference between in and into. And until, and if you take all of the verses in the Bible where the word until is used, as in our text, we discover that God does different things at different times for different purposes. Now, when you read the word until in the Bible, use it as you'd use it in your own home. You may stay up until Father comes home. You may stay up until 9 o'clock. You may do this until. You may have the car until. And that means 
these moments are to finish and something else is to begin. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until... And Jesus had before him the whole sweep of prophecy. Today he's on the throne of God, but don't forget that it's a temporary throne. Jesus is not going to be seated on the throne of God forever and ever. Oh no! We remember that in the book of Revelation he says to us, To him that overcometh, and who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am seated on my Father's throne. But the day is going to come and the whole doctrine of the second coming of Christ revolves around this, that the Lord Jesus today seated upon the Father's throne interceding for us. He shall rise from that throne and lay aside the robes of his mediation and gird upon him the sword of judgment and he shall come whose right it is to rule and he shall rule with a rod of iron. He will leave the throne of God where he pleads for us and he will come to take his own throne and to execute the judgment that God has planned for him to execute. Sit thou on my right hand until and thus we can sing the hymn O Lord Jesus how long how long ere we shout that glad song Christ returneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And then again, the Lord Jesus is teaching in this sentence his ultimate victory. We see the world in the grip of tremendous forces. Well, does this mean defeat? No, it does not mean defeat. The Lord God Almighty knows what he's doing. Everything is running on a time schedule which is in himself. As Jesus said, all these things will come to pass. The Father knoweth when he shall do these things. But we may be certain of the fact that the day will come when Christ's enemies will be made his footstool. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And we believe that this is to come to pass. Now, here the Lord Jesus Christ is in this sentence preparing the way for his later statement that to him that overcometh I will grant to sit with me in my throne, and victory will be assured. And finally, we return to the context in which this was spoken, the reason why the Lord Jesus spoke this particular word to these people at this time. These men, these scribes, these Pharisees were worldly. They wanted to have a religion that uh, could be twisted around their own desires. In fact, in some senses, they were not too far from that life in the United States of America that wants to make God a sort of honorary chairman of the board of directors to see that the dividends keep flowing. And everything, uh, if you just submit yourself to God, then everything will be lovely. We cannot find this in the scripture. Jesus, in fact, said, the nearer you get to me, the closer you will be to target and the more men will fire at you. He did not say in this world you shall be popular. He said in this world you shall have tribulation. And young Christians must learn this great fact that the closer they get to Jesus Christ, it may be wonderful when they're in a group of Christians and when everybody said, oh, isn't it wonderful? He has made his decision for Christ. Isn't it wonderful? She is now saved and is growing. But 
suddenly that one who has been in the incubator with the rest of the chickens is going to find that they are outside the incubator and that there are hawks in the sky and that God has said that in this world you shall have tribulation. There is a sense in which Christian fellowship makes it impossible for some Christians to see the nature of the world that crucified Christ and the nature of the world in which he lives. But the Lord is saying, I am the Messiah. I am not only the son of David, I am God. And this is the reason why the people of that time did not receive Jesus Christ. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were looking for a Messiah who was the son of David. And he is saying, it's much more than being son of David, it is being God. For with this limitation that they had put upon him, the Messiah was nothing more than a convenience to be used. But when Jesus Christ ended these limitations, he set himself forth as none other than Jehovah God and said, I am come in order that I might take the place that God has given me, to speak the words that God the Father has given me to speak, and to take my place as God in your lives so that you may once more come back to me and be submitted to me. And then it was, it says, that the common people heard him gladly. I don't know exactly what this means. I have read several commentaries on it this week, and I find none that satisfies me. I don't think it meant the common people were saying, oh yes, yes, this is the Messiah we want. I'm wondering if it may not mean merely that the crowd said, brother, he sure gave those birds their comeuppance. Did you see Mr. Scribe and Mr. Pharisee turn tail and run? Did you see how he shut their mouths? It may be little more than that. For this is the same common people that within a week will yell both Hosanna and crucify him. The voice of the people is not always the voice of God in spite of the proverb. The common people heard him gladly. The crowd heard him gleefully. We don't know exactly what it means. But you and I can come and take this now out of the pages of the past and put it here before we come to our closing hymn and our benediction. And I put this sentence to you as he put it to them. What think ye of Christ whose son is he? You must come face to face with this. We need no longer stay in the sphere of the scribes and the Pharisees and of a history of the Jewish people 2,000 years ago. This question is as pertinent this morning as it was pertinent then. What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? I know that long since I have answered that question, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. With Peter, I can say that. With Thomas, I can fall at his feet and say, My Lord and my God. And with Paul, I can say, Who art thou, Lord? Turning the question around. And he will answer and say, I am Jesus. Lord Jesus. That's the summary. And that must be your summary if you're to have the blessing and the glory that God wants you to have. Lord Jesus. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? God, Jesus. This is the Christian answer. Let us bow in prayer.
Now, our God and Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit will take these words to our hearts. We recognize so clearly that they are spoken in the weakness of the flesh. But we ask thee that above and beyond the human words that the Holy Spirit may take the divine word to our hearts. And that young men and women may be faced with this truth. And that older men and women, that each one of us, young or old, may come face to face with the fact that thou art drawing us on to Christ. That we may have his attitudes, his attitude toward the book, his attitude towards himself, and his attitude towards others round about us day by day. That we may give him our lives, that he may live his life within us. We ask all these things in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.